0: Welcome to the Polite Conversations podcast, where every episode is focused on civility, decorum, and good manners. And I'm your lovable, non-controversial host, Ina. If you know me, you know I definitely don't like to ruffle any feathers at all. history. There's been endless human cruelty and endless human suffering, war and genocide. When you look to the past, you might think, how? How did people let this happen? How did people watch as so many suffered? Why did no one in power do anything? To what degree was this normalized in societies it took place in? How did they justify such things, even to themselves? Did anyone raise their voices against it? And, and what happened to those who did? Those are the types of questions you might find yourself asking if you were to think in the abstract about events that took place long ago or far away. But we're living through this kind of moment right now. And with constant, instant connectivity, the world has shrunk a lot. Social media is flooded with Palestinian people's pain and suffering, high-res images of violence and oppression. It's, it's not something we can just distance ourselves from. If you are even moderately online right now, you have a pretty decent and broad view of just how normalized this type of mass violence is in the current moment and the kinds of tactics that are being used to rationalize it, the kinds of things people say to dehumanize and attempt to justify eradicating entire groups of people. You don't even have to look to random internet trolls for this kind of extreme eliminationist rhetoric, as we are seeing plenty of it from Israeli officials, from American officials.
1: The the majority of people who were killed were Hamas terrorists. People are saying this number, 12,000 people were killed. Yes, this is the Hamas is an army of 40,000 people and many of them were killed and, and good reasons.
2: Avalanche of human suffering. That's 100% man-made. It is the the worst humanitarian catastrophe I've experienced in my lifetime.
1: Cabinet ministers like Yov Gallant, the defense minister, who said Israel was fighting human animals and ordered a complete siege on the Gaza Strip. No electricity, no food, no fuel. Or heritage minister, Amikai Ilahu, who said blow up and flatten everything in the north of Gaza and give that land to Israeli settlers. Or Israeli president Isaac Herzog, who suggested that the innocent civilian population of gaza 2.3 million people half of them children weren't so innocent because they could have risen up against hamas it's an entire nation out there that is responsible it's not true this rhetoric about civilians not we're not aware not involved it's absolutely not true very puzzled by the constant uh, concern which the world is showing for the Palestinian people, and is actually showing for these horrible, inhuman animals.
2: There's an acronym that is unique to the Gaza Strip, and it's called it's WCNSF: Wounded Child, No Surviving Family. Children, and it is used not infrequently in the last three weeks. It was coined in the last three, three weeks. Members of Benjamin Netanyahu's
1: governing party in the Israeli Knesset, like Reverend Tal Gottlieb, who called for the use of a quote-unquote doomsday weapon to flatten Gaza without mercy. Serving and retired Israeli generals like Ghassan Alian, who also referred to animals in Gaza and said, there will only be destruction. You wanted hell? You will get hell. Or Gyora Island, who wrote that Israel needs to create a humanitarian crisis in Gaza, and Gaza will become a place where no human being can exist. We are at 10,000 dead Palestinians, how many will be enough? I also, one of my colleagues just said all of them, wow. One of my colleagues said all of them.
2: I would encourage the other side to not so lightly throw around the idea of innocent Palestinian civilians, as is frequently said. Uh, I don't think we would so lightly throw around the term innocent Nazi civilians. Gaza is going to look like Tokyo and Berlin at the end of World War II when this is over. And if it doesn't look that way, Israel made a mistake. I don't even want to call it the Palestinian flag because they're not a state, they're a territory that's about to probably get eviscerated and go away here shortly as we're gonna turn that into a parking lot.
1: That's what we've become in this state, where we don't care about innocent babies that don't even get the opportunity to blow out their first birthday candle.
2: I don't think there's any way Israel can be expected to coexist or find some diplomatic off ramp uh, with these savages. It's targeting healthcare facilities, ambulances, churches, mosques schools, refugee camps, densely populated refugee camps, wiping out entire families in a second, entire multi-generational extended families in a second. I, I don't see any other option. It's a terrible option, but it remains the only option.
0: Western media in general is doing a type of linguistic gymnastics that I didn't think was possible every day in order to minimize or excuse Israel's attacks on innocent Palestinian civilians under the guise of wanting to eradicate Hamas. The euphemisms in use these days are obscene. For example, it is not evacuation. It is a forced expulsion of people who are following instructions and then being bombed along the way anyway. It is not an Israel-Hamas war. It is Israel attacking thousands of people that have nothing to do with Hamas and no way to fight back or defend themselves. That is not a war. That is one-sided slaughter. Human shields. When I used to hear that term before, I admit, I thought it meant something a lot more literal and visible, like terrorists actually cruelly hiding physically, literally behind innocent civilians, like right behind them. I did not realize this could be used as an excuse to bomb all hospitals in a vicinity where they may suspect some militants may be hiding somewhere nearby or around the area. Oops, didn't find a sprawling underground command center like we said we would. Oh, well, we think it's in this hospital now. As for eradicating terrorism in this way, It just makes no sense. Killing tens of thousands of innocent civilians because you are disgusted by people who cruelly killed innocent civilians. How does that add up? And unfortunately, as abhorrent and horrendous as terrorism is, it lives in the minds of people. It passes from person to person. An idea, especially an abhorrent one, cannot be eradicated by wiping a group of people out it especially cannot be eradicated by targeting or wiping out innocence because that only feeds the rage, that only feeds the cycle, that only radicalizes more people. If we are to believe Western right-wing narratives, we should understand and empathize with Westerners who are radicalized by being called racist, by being told they can't do blackface on Halloween, by having to be more inclusive by having to use pronouns they don't want to, but we cannot, should not even begin to fathom how someone could be radicalized by having their entire family wiped out, generations of it. How does that add up? I know this is a difficult time for everyone. The levels of hate on display are astounding, especially for Muslims and Jews. I see you, I hear you, and I will do anything in my power to help my Muslim friends and Jewish friends feel safe from actual bigotry fascism and hate are undeniably on the rise around the world, anti-semitism is on the rise, anti-muslim sentiment is on the rise. These are both deeply concerning and should worry anyone who genuinely cares about combating fascism and bigotry in whatever shape it takes. It's the same disease, the same hate, that takes different forms and comes for one group or another. If you're worried about it when it comes for your group, you should also be worried about it when it comes for others because it can change direction instantly and make you and your loved ones a target. It's a very strange moment in global politics right now with some bizarre contrasts. The people in power, the governments, do not seem to care or do much to prevent this slaughter from happening. They're enabling it, in fact. And uh, many are clamping down on protests, demonizing marches for peace as marches for hate. But the individual people in so many countries are coming out like never before. Even defying restrictions, it's striking a chord with various groups. Those with a history of oppression, of colonization, the indigenous, those who simply care about combating those things and those who have seen such wars in the past do irreparable damage. Whose countries have engaged in such inhumane acts before. So many people uniting for this cause. It's been especially incredible to see how many Jewish people are raising their voices against this saying, not in my name. Along with Palestinian voices, those are some of the most valuable and important voices in this fight, in my opinion. Again, those in power will stop at nothing to demonize anyone standing up against this injustice, even calling Jewish people themselves who raise their voices anti-Semitic or traitors. It goes without saying, of course, that when there are so many hundreds of thousands of people coming out for this cause, there will be some with malicious agendas hijacking or rebranding as pro-Palestinian. It is up to us who want the calls for the violence to stop, to be the most effective and credible they can be, to take note of bad actors, of those who only want to join because for them it is a way to channel their anti-Semitism. It's up to us to turn them away anytime we encounter them. But another thing worth emphasizing in this situation is the difference between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, one that many have deliberately attempted to conflate so any criticism of Israel's policies or actions can be discredited as anti-Semitic. The CEO of the Anti Defamation League, which is supposedly a civil rights organization that combats anti Semitism and extremism, has very kindly demonstrated how these two things are very separate indeed, but maliciously conflated for political purposes. While he goes after college kids for pro-Palestinian protests, he praised Elon Musk a day after he endorsed a wildly dangerous anti-Semitic conspiracy theory on Twitter, only because Musk said he'd suspend anyone mentioning decolonization or the phrase from the river to the sea. Just think of the implications of an organization like the ADL publicly praising Musk a day after he legitimized a Nazi-esque anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, just completely makes the ADL's concerns about anti-Semitism flooding campuses lack any credibility whatsoever. If they're not bothered by one of the wealthiest, most powerful men helping to spread anti-Semitism, so long as he also censors leftists and Palestinians talking about decolonization, I mean, how can anyone take the ADL seriously on the topic of anti-Semitism ever again. It's such a shame. And to frame it this way, that freedom for Palestinians exists in opposition to the survival and safety of Jews in Israel, is really quite the rhetorical trick. And speaking of downplaying Nazi-esque talking points, you know, another absolutely ridiculous thing happening right now is that the right has taken to literally minimizing Nazi death camps. Yeah, I cannot believe it either. The extent they are willing to go for their rabid anti-Muslim hate leads them to the place of, well, the Nazis weren't so bad, actually. Not as bad as Hamas. At least the Nazis felt sad about what they did. You may think I'm kidding, but here's posh extremist Douglas Murray talking about just that. The same Douglas Murray who is happily palling around with Victor Orban, who has a very well-documented anti-Semitism problem. The same Douglas Murray who once wrote an article called, Is Now a Good Time to Talk About Jews and Money.
3: more important thing is your question supposes that there is a sort of peaceful Palestinian population in the Gaza who would love a two-state solution and then a few bad apples in Hamas. I think that's not true ordinary Gazans uh, uh, spitting on her body, uh, hitting her body, mutilating her body further as it went down the street. Does that strike you, Piers, as a uh, placid population of peacenik types who are just desperately waiting for a two-state solution to be put back on the table for the millionth time in the last 70-something years? It doesn't seem like that to me. No, but there are over two million people in Gaza, and there weren't two million people in that video clip. There were a few hundred are really articulating. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't what you're articulating really an endorsement of collective punishment, where you assume they're all guilty, no. and if they don't stand up to Hamas, they're also guilty? Well, and, and that's where people have a problem, I think, well, with the moral line here, which is, no, if you I'm hold, assuming, if I'm you hold assuming. all the Gazans equally responsible, then is that not collective punishment, which is illegal? Well, first, first of all. Uh, First of all, um, uh, there, aren't, there is some responsibility for the peoples in the Gaza. Um, if you elect, elect Hamas and, uh, and they kill uh, Fatah and then they remain in power for all of the years afterwards, um, I'm afraid that there is some uh, responsibility of the people in that situation. You know, when the Germans uh, um, had Adolf Hitler come to power and voted for him, uh, we in Britain took the view that the German people were responsible in some way. So I'm not for collective punishment per se, but nor am I for this idea that there is something unique going on in the Israeli Gaza context that we in Britain couldn't understand. Actually there is one we unique Britain thing in our own history there is, there done is very one, similar things. But there is one unique thing, which is that the population of Gaza is pretty unique in that nearly half of the population are children that is a unique situation no I'll tell you what's unique about the population of Gaza it's the only population in the world where people routinely claim Israelis are committing genocide but which has a population boom all of the time I mean that strikes me as being quite an interesting thing about the Gaza People quite often abuse history and they say things all the time I mean, about the only thing anyone from history knows is about the nazis here's something i can tell you with absolute certainty uh peers having not just seen some of the results of what hamas did on the ground here in israel a few weeks ago but having watched the videos of the unedited footage uh, which i was one of the journalists who um, was sadly allowed to see the other day i can tell you one thing the comparison between hamas and the nazis is insufficient finger-strike struck me, you know, Piers, about seeing the 7th of October footage was that um, uh, even the Nazis were actually ashamed of what they did. You know, SS battalions who spent their days shooting Jews in the back of the head and pushing them into uh, into trenches had to get very, very drunk in the evening to forget what they had done. The Nazi high command famously had to sort of get around the problem of soldier morale because the soldiers knew this wasn't exactly what their lives were meant to look like either. I tell you one very big difference. If you look at the footage, the raw footage, and I really hope people don't, on a wider scale, have to view what I viewed the other day. Um, if they see it, they will see something that is at least as barbaric as what the Nazis did. But here's the difference. They did it with glee. They were deeply proud back to this thing I'm not exaggerating this it's very very interesting and people need to realize you had this situation with uh, with the Nazis where they also were a genocidal anti-semitic organization but they tried to cover their crimes up Hamas are actually proud of them
0: it's astounding that Douglas Murray gets any credibility on mainstream media at all. He's on record saying conditions for Muslims in Europe must be made harder across the board. He is on record worrying about the whiteness levels of London decreasing. Now he's cosplaying as a war reporter in Israel because that's how much the conditions being made harder for any Muslims excites him. Is that someone responsible media should have on talking about the violence in Gaza? Is that someone who could have any sort of reasonably unbiased view? It's grotesque. It's no different than an Islamist hate preacher being platformed in a Muslim country. Extremists that have a thesaurus and a nice accent are still extremists. Not only that, but Douglas has made this downplaying of Nazis a popular talking point so much that a right-wing pro-Israel rabbi praised it. A rabbi. And a right-wing Jewish publication published it. For goodness sake. And that's not an isolated incident. There's so much more where that came from too, unfortunately. Netanyahu himself has done a bit of Holocaust revisionism just to pin it on the Muslims. This is the extent they're willing to go to for their hate. It should concern everyone. As I said earlier, these are very strange times. There are some strange allies being made. Aside from the downplaying of literal Nazis being embraced by those on the side of Israel, we have far-right thug and white nationalist type Tommy Robinson being reinstated on Twitter, firstly, and secondly, declaring his solidarity with Jews and calling for his audience to attend a national solidarity march against antisemitism. Marine Le Pen is being praised over in France at a march against anti-semitism. In the US, a known extremely anti-semitic evangelical pastor was a featured speaker at a pro-Israel rally where people literally chanted no ceasefire. There are so many examples of anti-Semitic people supporting Israel right now. I don't know how it could be clearer that Zionism and Jews are not, in fact, intertwined as many would like you to believe. That would be a bigoted belief, in my opinion. We are currently in an absurdist Looney Tunes situation where we are constantly gaslit to not believe the cruelty we are viewing on social media. A world where not a day goes by Without failed IDF propaganda, from edited and deleted videos to a box of dates and a handful of guns as proof of a Hamas headquarters, where calendars in Arabic are being made out to be some sort of terror guard schedule, where the justification for bombing hospitals, ambulances, and refugee camps is being crafted clumsily before our very eyes and ears, where Palestinian journalists are being set up to be discredited as embedded with Hamas and then slaughtered, along with their families as punishment for showing the world what is truly happening on the ground, where comically large font on abnormally light-seeming boxes of medical supplies and exaggeratedly labeled Baby food is being paraded for cameras, but doctors say they received no such things. Where the IDF is posting animated videos about their sperm retrieval unit. Yes, you heard those words right. A unit to reclaim the cum of fallen soldiers. Nothing weird and ethno-nationalist-y about that, nuh-uh. Where they're posting selfies in the rubble, hijacking Me Too with actors and sketches, using rainbow flags to show how inclusive they are as they massacre thousands. And the other side, by which I mean Palestinian civilians are just trying to survive, find food, water, carrying the bodies of their dead children. The contrasts are mind-boggling. Newspaper headlines are using different words. Israelis have children and Palestinians have young people. This is the upside-down hell world we've been in for the past few weeks. One thing I've learned recently is that there's been a long-standing, known effort to expand and openly weaponize accusations of anti-Semitism. The deliberate blurring of lines right now is such a dangerous, dangerous thing. To conflate criticism of Israel and its government's actions with actual anti-Semitism is just such an irresponsible thing to do. To water it down like that, a tragedy, to make a mockery of something so serious. It has been used so ridiculously that it's been a joke featured in The Onion. The ADL might as well be a parody on the subject. This is a dangerous place to get to because actual anti-Semites, not just critics of the Israeli government or its actions, will take cover in the fact that people just aren't taking the term as seriously anymore. Do you think it's possible to be critical of Israel without being anti-Semitic? Do you think it's possible to be critical of Israel without being anti-Semitic? Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible? Listen to David Friedman on Al Jazeera, a former US ambassador to Israel, say that not believing Israel on the fact that Hamas headquarters are located under Al Shafa Hospital is essentially like Holocaust denial because it's saying the evidence Israel presents is not valid. Holocaust denial, ludicrous.
1: It's been proven with certainty. It's been proven with certainty that the headquarters of Hamas is under the Al Shifa Hospital in Gaza City. Now you know what happened a couple of days ago. Proven by Hamas. Let, so let, so one, me, hold on. Mark, not, I, are you going to let me finish? I, Mark, I can't allow you. To, you I, I, I cannot allow you to, name, to say 15 things that are unfactual and not be challenged on them. I'm happy to let you talk, but I, I'm going to uh, ask clarifying questions. You going to tell me it was factual. Mark, yes, I would, no, Mark. I, I spent five from, years of my life studying this, I, I, living it. What was the last time? What was the last time you were in Gaza, Mark? Uh, what was the last time you were in Gaza? Uh, uh, 18 months ago when, okay, when was the last time you were in Gaza? A few years ago Okay, so you said Al-Shifa hospital has been proven Hamas headquarters
3: What independent yes. uh, uh, Reference, what source What investigation
1: Has proven that? Who has proven that it's an Al-Shifa hospital Since it's been a proven fact? Who proved it? So now we're going to get into this basic like Holocaust denying idea that that evidence that Israel has shown is not valid. I mean, is that what you're doing? Do you, no, do you deny that? No, no, were no, no, and, no. I mean, that you, everybody, 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 everybody that challenges you is not doing Holocaust denial. You said that it's a Hamas headquarters.
0: The gaslighting around this issue and so many others has been off the charts. It always amazes me to see who gets to be believed and who doesn't? After Biden cast doubt on the death toll, a State Department official said that the real number was likely higher even. And despite a track record of lie after lie after lie after lie, Israeli propaganda is barely given any scrutiny by Western media. CNN even printed the Arabic calendar thing. Maybe, maybe things are starting to shift the slightest bit, but it's still ridiculous how much they take what Israel and the IDF say at face value. The power imbalance in this cruel conflict is unbelievable. All the world's prominent leaders and media on one side, premature babies and incubators without power to run them and children of all ages being murdered. But we keep being told it's self-defense the Muslimness of Palestinians is constantly being evoked to different degrees to give it a real whiff of those savage bloodthirsty barbarians. All of this chips away at the humanity The language, the rhetoric, the headlines, the one-sided coverage, the censoring and silencing of dissenters, the comparisons to animals, the inability to be believed or to communicate even, all while we have savvy IDF soldiers posting thirst traps and gamified TikTok kidnappings and humiliations, being praised as the more civilized ones. And we have the Palestinians with all their suffering their blood and bones laid bare, being called savages. With it being said repeatedly, there are no innocents. That it's self-defense to obliterate at least 45% of housing units in Gaza. It's self-defense to cut civilians off from food, water, fuel, and contact with the outside world. The most moral army in the world, I'm told, time and time again. I'm told these things, but my eyes are seeing something else. Saying from the river to the sea is genocidal, but murdering one out of every two hundred people in Gaza in just a matter of weeks is not? The cumulative effect of all this is how it becomes normalized to some people. Genocides don't just happen overnight. They happen bit by bit, slowly, by dehumanizing a whole group of people, by comparing them to vermin, to animals, by viewing their children as human shields or future terrorists. Language really matters, and I wonder what it will take for the people in power, for the media, to call this what it is and use the correct terminology to stop minimizing and using gross euphemisms. Anyway, I thought it was important to have a conversation with linguist Dr. Caitlin Green on the language of genocide. As always, dear listeners, if you find value in this work, please consider supporting via Patreon because I cannot continue this type of work without it being funded by listeners like you. And currently, the podcast needs your help more than ever to survive. Here's part one of our two-part conversation. Both parts will be available early on Patreon. Hello, everyone. I am here with my favorite linguist once again, and also my favorite Caitlin, as we established before, Um, Dr. Caitlin Green. Welcome back to the Polite Conversations podcast.
4: Thank you so much for having me. I always love coming on. Always so fun to have you on.
0: Though today we have a very awful subject to discuss, but I think it's important that it be discussed. And I think a linguist would be a good person to discuss it with because the kinds of language, the kinds of rhetoric that I'm seeing out in the wild just is blowing my mind. I feel like how is this happening? How are people so openly, um, just so biased and bigoted?
4: That's a really good question. It's a really painful question. Um, and I, I think it has to do with essentially just years and years of conditioning, right? Yeah, I mean, here
0: we are. We're going to be discussing the language of, I guess, war and dehumanization and genocide. And uh, just, you know, in relation to the ongoing horrific mass killing of civilians that we're seeing every day in Palestine. And uh, just what I'm seeing in the media, the blackout, the, the... lack of reporting, even. It's just horrifying. Like, I've never lived through something like this before.
4: Yeah, it's deeply uneven, right, who can get their story out to these, like, mainstream media sources. Like, so
0: uneven. It's not even about the ability of getting it out. Like, people know the stories. People know the kinds of things that Israeli officials have been saying in these days. No, like, mainstream large outlets are willing to publish that. Mm-hmm. It's it's very strange.
4: Yeah, we saw it with um, the CNN angle, right, because they were doing essentially access journalism, um, and it comes with conditions,
0: right? Oh, yeah, embedded with the IDF, where they give the full approval before they can put anything out. I mean, that sounds exceptionally fashy and authoritarian to want to control the media narrative in that way. And had it been a country like Saudi Arabia, I know that people would be rushing
4: to talk about that. Yeah, it's it's just that we have this serious bias when it comes to Israel specifically.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of, like, historical, complicated reasons for that, too. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, although they're doing their best to uh, kind of erase that, right, and pretend that kind of time started on October 7th.
0: Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, I've been reading more about it, and what I'm, like, I'm learning a lot of things Recently, that I just didn't know before. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the fact that um, I, I read in an Israeli-slash-Palestinian publication, like an independent publication, about how the project to kind of tie Israel with Jewish identity as like one package... Yeah. ...has been a long, ongoing, like, American project? Yep. Which is... Very surprising, you know, because that, that's clearly what we're seeing, right? It's like the open blurring of lines of identity where Hamas is being blurred with ordinary Palestinian civilians and being Jewish is trying to be forced into being connected with being Israeli.
4: Yeah, do we want to get into our first like discourse analysis? term here because we're dancing around it. Which is? Well, um, it's synecdoche is what it's called. You, say, you, you said it like I would know what you're, what you're talking about. <laughs> you know everyone's favorite word synecdoche. Um, <laughs> no I don't, I don't a, know that. It is a rhetorical device. A lot of rhetorical devices also have like a counterpart in linguistics in terms of just language change, like when a word changes meaning over time, sometimes it will do it via the process of synecdoche, which is when the word for a part of something is substituted for the whole thing or vice versa. So it'll be like, um, you know, when you'll say Washington did something when really it was like the government of the United States Mm -hmm. of America. Um, Or when you say um, in this case, it's about saying Hamas when you maybe mean Palestinians Uh or saying Israel when you actually mean the Likud party or Netanyahu specifically Uh or the IDF Uh or saying Jews when you mean Uh Zionists. And so that's what has been happening on the right, especially, right, is this desire to make Zionism synonymous with Judaism, Mm -hmm. so that whenever somebody says that Israel is committing a genocide, they can say, are you saying that you hate Jews? Yeah,
0: and that's been so uh, just, uh, like, strange to see, because I can't see that happening for another kind of bigotry. Like, if you criticize Saudi Arabia, are you being anti-Muslim? Anyone would see through that very, very quickly. But now I'm reading that there have been concerted efforts to expand the definition of anti-Semitism to specifically include criticism of Israel from Israeli sources. I'm reading this. Mm -hmm. And, like, a lot of people... Are not on board with that because they want to be able to criticize their own government.
4: Yeah, it is actually deeply anti-Semitic to say that all Jews are Zionists and all Zionists are Jews, right? The largest Zionist lobbying group in the United States are Christian nationalists. Mm -hmm. It's not right to say that all of one is the same. So, and also, you know, there are so many Jewish people out there fighting for a ceasefire. Yeah. They're putting their bodies on the line, right? They're literally putting their bodies on the gears. They were out there in Berkeley. They were out there in Tacoma trying to physically stop uh, ships from taking weapons over to Israel. Yeah. Uh, And and to say that all Jews are Zionists is really an attack on them, too. Right. And
0: for the people who have kind of, like, uh, said that these are not real Jews or, like, you know, kind of accuse them of being traitors or mm-hmm. there's just so much history behind that. Like
4: that's yeah, what I'm learning. It's a serious assault on anti-Zionist Jewish people to say that it's the same thing, right? <laughs> um, and it also helps obscure the anti-Semitism that that is happening. And that probably yes. serves Christian nationalist interests too, right? They don't really want us to be paying a lot of attention to the kinds of anti-Semitism that are fined by them.
0: Well, that's exactly it. Like, how quickly did they turn from, uh, you know, saying, let's uh, attack the ADL to every criticism of Israel is anti-Semitism? There was, like, someone saying that there was, like, a there was, like, a billboard uh, said that Israel is killing a child every 10 or 15 minutes. I can't remember the exact number, but someone wrote that That is anti-Semitic.
4: Right. Well, uh, yeah, Israel has a long history of weaponizing that specific claim to obscure and to silence criticism of itself, right? Like, back in whatever it was, 2004, 2006, when Jimmy Carter wrote that book about Palestine, he was getting protested wherever he would go for his book tour because they called it anti-Semitic. Mm. But it was really all very kind of -of middle-of-the-road criticisms of the policy of Israel and the IDF. Mm -hmm. And specifically
0: with that word, anti-Semitism, it's so serious because the world has seen what it led to. It's horrifying. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to get Anywhere close to that, so that is a very powerful thing to say, and it will make a lot of people back off, right? Like, of right. course, we don't, we don't want to get anywhere near anti-Semitism.
4: Well, if you look at other bigotries, right? People do that all the time, right? Uh, like, gender critical people will weaponize things like rape, yeah, uh, yeah, w- in their rhetoric when they're trying to attack trans people because they know that people correctly have strong feelings about. Those things.
0: Right, right. And, you know, in my own experience, I've seen a lot of like far right uh, Muslim conservatives also weaponize uh, accusations of Islamophobia over people protesting and criticizing very legitimate things.
4: Right. I mean, why wouldn't you, right, when you're arguing in bad faith, take something that people already accept to be a bad thing and use it? Yeah. So synecdoche definitely works that way, and then, like you said, it also works with um, just saying Hamas all the time when you might not specifically be referring to Hamas, and that even happens in you know these mainstream news websites in their navigation tabs, where you know the, whenever there's an important kind of world event happening, they'll have a special tab on their website so you can click it and just see the recent stories on that topic, mm-hmm. and they keep calling it the Israel Hamas conflict or Israel Hamas war, um, when one of those is a country name and one of those is a party name. Um, Yeah. So you, you would say either the Likud Hamas or like Israel Palestine, but they keep saying Hamas as much as they can because everybody already has a sense. Like as long as I can remember paying attention to world events, which would be like the early 2000s, I knew Hamas as evil. That's an evil thing. Yeah. So that that's, again, taking advantage of my mental associations to make me feel a certain way about this matchup.
0: Yeah, yeah. And just the constant demand for, no matter how how many times that someone like me or someone of, you know, Muslim background will say that absolutely... I do not support Hamas. I Mm -hmm. denounce what they did. Mm -hmm. What they did was horrific. You're still in every conversation asked, do you denounce Hamas? Do you denounce Hamas? Right. And so that starts to get really, I guess, especially upsetting for people who have a personal stake in this situation, who have lost relatives. If someone says, I have lost 45 members of my family, let's say, and you keep asking me to denounce Hamas, which I have done every single day, now I'm just sick of it. And when they get sick of it, and they're like, you know, on their 40th interview, they're like, well, do you denounce, you know, so-and-so action by the IDF? And then they don't Mm -hmm. get a response to that.
4: Right. Because they don't, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and also the framing—the framing of this being self-defense. How long? Yeah. How long can we go on that? Like, how everyone right. is seeing what is happening: bombing hospitals, well, this is, bombing yeah. bakeries, bombing water sources, fleeing refugees, refugee camps, people who yeah. are going south where they have been told to go south. Those yeah. kind people of ways. on the road.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah, this is part of that uh, that kind of collective decision to pretend that history started on the seventh, right? Um, and if you ever say anything like, "Oh, there's a history before that," right? This is a reaction um, to an ethnic cleansing that's been ongoing for decades. But let's then, say,
0: but let's say that history did start on October seventh, right?
4: Okay, the even response then, is still disproportionate, yes, right? Even <laughs> then. Yeah, it's true. Um, but, like, we keep seeing words in the news reporting, like, gambit or, um, you know, attack or uh, things that, that suggest that it wasn't precipitated by anything, right? As if this was an opening move um, as opposed to a reaction. And, like, you can, you can acknowledge it as a reaction without endorsing it, right? Like, people reacting incorrectly all the time. To think. Like Israel is doing right now. Yes, exactly. Um, but what it does is it, it changes the conversation to be about how could they do this, which is in itself a dehumanizing question because it rejects the concept of empathy. Mm-hmm. You say, how could they do this? I don't understand how anyone could do this. Um, that kind of talk is an admission that you have decided not to exercise empathy, even if you're, not going to approve of what they did, you can at least recognize them as humans.
0: Yeah, I mean, but I don't really, in my position, being of Muslim background, I just I don't want to, I don't care about recognizing Hamas as humans, really. Mm -hmm. I guess because I've also been conditioned from childhood, stay the fuck away from anything resembling any sort of legitimacy to their grievances or anything which you know i instinctively probably more than an american leftist would be like no 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 fuck them fuck them they have done nothing helpful for muslims i am
4: not right they're terrorizing their own people
0: yeah so you know i don't care about that but still but still i am deemed like a sympathizer
4: you know what i mean yeah Well, and that's why it's so dangerous for you to say anything that's, like, could be seen as empathizing.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't even want to use those words together, like empathizing and Hamas. Like, I don't care to empathize with them, but I also want to draw a line between the millions of civilians that are not Hamas and how they are being pulled in, you know? With this yeah. human shields thing, right? Like, it may have been yes. a, a legitimate thing, that a tactic at some point. Right. But right now, it seems like an excuse. Yeah. Because every target, yeah. every target, a bakery, a hospital, a refugee camp... Even when they've admitted that they are indiscriminately bombing, they are not, they have, this is the language of officials who have said this themselves, they are not caring much about precision right now.
4: Yeah, at the point that your enemy has told you, we don't care if you're hiding in a hospital, we're going to bomb it, then why hide in a hospital anymore?
0: Yeah, and it makes no sense sense to respond this way in trying to rescue hostages it seems yeah. like extremely clear that this is not uh, there's no concern mm-hmm. about the hostages
4: right and so they keep saying like we're trying to get them home safe we're trying to get them home safe but and why they would you keep dropping bombs yeah. on yeah so, why would
0: you yeah. be bombing the area where they are
4: like indiscriminately It makes no sense. And people keep trying to make these uh, analogies, right? Somebody said, you know, imagine that, like, somebody had murdered your father and had your mother in a house, uh, like, you know— barricaded in a house. Are you saying you don't want the police to do anything? And it's like, well, I don't want them to blow up the house. Right. i got my mom in it. Exactly. <laughs> so even their analogies and like examples do not work fundamentally. Right. Well, we're seeing even families who have lost people in that, mm-hmm. uh, saying, please stop,
0: please, please. Yes. Like yeah. do not cause
4: more innocent deaths using our family members. Right. But we do have a lot of examples of this sense that all Palestinians are complicit, right? Unless they like personally hogtie a Hamas militia member and like sent, you know, mail them to the the capital. Where we have like the former US ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, reacting to someone saying ethnic cleansing is happening. And he says, You mean the Palestinians who decapitate babies? Rape women and dismember children, or those who hand out candy in celebration, or those who provide the terrorist aid, comfort, safe passage, and a place to hide. So he's saying that's all Palestinians. Right. right. Palestinians. You, you yeah. can't. You can't just be, like, a six-year-old in Palestinian. You're probably giving candy to terrorists. Right. So I was
0: listening to Sam Harris's most recent uh, podcast with uh, Graham Wood. He's in Israel. He also is, like, this IDWS-esque journalist who, you know, mm-hmm. I've increasingly come to recognize as having a very, very biased opinion, Like, they, in the middle of all of this massacre of children, they released an episode about jihad. Wow. Like, there was barely any mention at all of Palestinians as, you know, as a a tragedy. Like, there was only mentions as, like, collateral damage. And then at one point, I think Graham try to correct Sam that you know there is actually uh, a lot of Palestinians in Gaza that don't support Hamas but Sam Harrison went on to say yeah sure there may be Palestinians who don't support Hamas but guess what they still take joy in the kinds of actions that they that they carried out they may not like Hamas's specific uh, you know politics or the way that they take care of things but this they were, they're going to be on board. Like, he just deduced, based on nothing, like nothing that he provided, that generally they're going to be on board with this uh, jihadist project of just killing as many Jews as possible. Right. When time and time again I have seen so many Palestinians saying, please, please reject the anti-Semitism. It does not help our cause. Do not fall into that. And there's no mention of Arabs who say things like that. It's just like a flattened perception of concentric circles of Muslims and Arabs that, you know, support jihad in varying degrees.
4: Yeah no they they definitely see them as a monolith right and the, it's totally flattened into they're all the same there's no such thing as like a you know a progressive muslim apparently mm-hmm. um which like i i told you this on twitter you know like i found out after i was after I guess I was a young adult, right? My brother started going to a school that had a, a pretty high Muslim population. And like, that's when I found out <laughs> that, that they weren't all the same, which is so embarrassing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that I could just be living my white liberal life up until then thinking that, thinking something so obviously ridiculous before it was just like thrust in my face that obviously that's not true. Um, Clearly, Sam hasn't had that experience.
0: Which is strange because he spends a lot of time talking about Islam. So you'd think that the bare minimum amount of intellectual curiosity will lead him to discover more diverse perspectives. And look, I'm not saying that there isn't... A problem with anti-Semitism, I've yeah. seen enough of it to know like it's it's bad and I like to spend my time calling it out too. But that's yeah. not to
4: say that every single person is the same, right? Right. And it doesn't help anybody to say that like anti Zionism is the same thing as anti Semitism or the criticizing Israel is the same thing as anti Semitism. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help us fight anti-Semitism for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, um, it's so strange how the lines are divided in very weird ways right now. Like you're seeing some white nationalists kind of right. rebrand as anti-war and pro-Palestine, but then you're seeing other white nationalists. I guess the ones that are branding themselves as anti-war and pro-Palestine are using it as a way to promote, like, be anti-Semitic. Those
4: are the ones who are not evangelical Christians, right? Because the evangelical Christians are going to use Zionism as a means to achieve their goal of essentially the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then the ones who are not evangelical Christians are just going to see a chance to do anti-Semitism and be excited because they believe that Jewish people are degenerate and are inferior. Mm-hmm. And, are, and they have all of these beliefs about you know, Jewish people being involved in a project to destroy Western civilization.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways that religion intersects with this. And it's just really something to me that the only thing that our atheist, genius, galaxy brains can talk about is jihad. That's the yeah. only
4: thing, you know? Oh, yeah. So that was another linguistic point to bring up is the selective kind of injecting of Arabic or Islam-associated words, mm-hmm. right? And it could be anything, right? There's people running around saying, like, Al-Qaeda, which is not related. Yeah,
0: or ISIS.
4: Yeah, or ISIS, right? Israel put out a social media campaign about Hamas is ISIS. And mm-hmm. it's like, that doesn't even make any sense at all, but okay. Um <laughs> Uh, or showing the there's like a flag that has a prayer on it. Right. Again, yeah, the shahada, yeah. It's... Yeah, the shahada on it. And people will say, like, well that's the ISIS flag. Yeah. I know what that looks like. I mean no, they it's the use black. they use
0: a similar text, right? Because yeah. that just means there's no God but God.
4: Right. It is literally a prayer. <laughs> it would it would be just like having a flag that said something like God bless America or like um or like uh, the Lord's Prayer or something on it, right? Which
0: is douchey in itself. Yeah. Like if like yeah. I would never bring that to a pro-Palestine rally because I'm not stupid. Like I know the associations, <laughs> and I know that people have, how right? how that's gonna look, right? So yeah. I don't know yeah, what those people are trying to achieve, but yes, they are not like carrying an ISIS flag.
4: Yeah, necessarily. I think that when when you are deeply involved in a religious community, like those are the first kind of things that you think of is to appeal to God and to to wish for peace. And
0: also, when your religious identity is threatened, right? Then Mm -hmm. you're like clinging to it harder.
4: Yeah. So for someone to point at them and be like, ah, the terrorists, like you know, that's yeah, that is because of a fear. It's like a cycle.
0: You call call them terrorists. You make them cling to that religious identity harder. And then you call them terrorists harder. And they cling harder. And it's just like... Obviously, the conservatives that are more attached to this type of iconography, really. So, it's the conservatives calling them terrorists in the the West, and the conservatives responding by clinging harder in the East to their religious identity. And we have people like Douglas Murray, who's just throwing out there that Allahu Akbar... Is a war cry, apparently. No, it is not. (laughs) It is such a dangerous thing to say when we have seen in the past couple of decades, like, hundreds of thousands of Muslims just bombed to smithereens because of rhetoric like
4: this. Right. Yeah, because it does license a a violent reaction to say, like, oh, well, they just did a thing that terrorists do, so now I get to shut them down in whatever way necessary. Right.
0: And And Allahu Akbar, just, you know, for anyone listening, just means God is great. Not my favorite
4: phrase, certainly. Well, being atheist, it's not really for us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, people, average people, children, grandmas, they all just, it doesn't mean anything like death to the West or any, it depends on the context that you you use it. I'm sure ISIS is thinking that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, When they're saying God is great. Well,
4: yeah. But like, imagine if you reacted that way. Anytime somebody said like, thank God, or God is truly everywhere. Or like God does great things. Right. Which is something that is said in my vicinity all the time. Yeah. Like, what if I freaked out to that level whenever I heard that? And I'm sure the Christian nationalist terrorists say things like that as they're committing their crimes. Yeah. There was
0: a, there was one who didn't even use a god I think like a a few years ago there was a, a stabbing by a Britain first guy and I think he yelled Britain first yeah. You know, if you look at those words individually, well, it just means Britain first, which sure sounds a little bit
4: nationalist. Well, but I'm not sure that there is an innocuous case for saying Britain first. <laughs> 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 I think that's always nationalist, that's, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. I guess so.
0: But it's not necessarily a stabbing phrase. It's not.
4: Yeah, it's not something you say right before you stab someone, necessarily. Necessarily. uh, The same people who
0: who say these things about Allahu Akbar and all of those phrases, they were arguing so hard for context. And, you know, when this Britain First thing happened, they were saying all the things that people say about these Arabic phrases, except now they're saying it about English phrases, right? It was really strange to see at that time.
4: We were looking for a house, and we got, there was a listing in a town that, uh, as we drove into it, there was like a massive billboard that just said "America First on it. Mm. And I was like, "I don't think we can. I don't think we can buy a house here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we're gonna do it." <laughs> so it, it does mean something to me in my in my gut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so let's see. We talked about the the flattening of a whole people. Including Jews, right?
0: It's that volleying accusations of anti-Semitism.
4: Yes, right. That like if you're against Zionism. Okay, this this same former US ambassador, he really does lay it out. Okay, this guy David Friedman, he he's somebody to go to if you want to know if the dog whistles are whistling at anything in particular, because he'll just freaking say it. Um <laughs> so again, he's your are look out for calling out something that everyone agrees is bad and associating it with um, pro-Palestine sentiment, look out for calling anti-Zionism the same thing as anti-Semitism, um, and also look out for prioritizing Zionist feelings over human lives. Okay, so here's the quote. Anyone doubting the Holocaust or wondering how it possibly could have occurred, look no further than your evening news. Paris, London, San Francisco, Amman, and so many other cities are now aflame with Jew hatred. College campuses have abandoned safe spaces and seek to inflict maximum pain and insecurity upon their Jewish students. The argument that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism is being debunked in real time. Thank God for the state of Israel and the IDF. It is the last, best, and only chance for Jewish survival. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this is, I think, also a good time to talk about the foregrounding of Zionist feelings of discomfort. Mm -hmm. and how it is being given precedence over the lives of Palestinians and also over the fact that um, jobs and honors and and academic positions are being rescinded Mm -hmm. from people who speak out for Palestine, right? Mm -hmm. Similarly, we have David Bernstein saying that the protesters at Wellesley's rhetoric would sound better in the original German wow. because they said that Zionism doesn't have a place on a, a, a college campus because it is genocidal. There's organizations like Safe Campus who will just publish names of people at different college campuses who sign letters That say, this is a genocide. We don't want to support a genocide. So, you know, they'll, they'll just be like, here's the 24 Jew hating CUNY faculty members. It's just so horrific. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you have these trucks, right. That are going around and this is a Christian nationalist organization that's doing this, um, The truck goes around college campuses showing the faces and names of students and faculty that they believe to be anti-Semitic. Many of them just happen to be Arab. Like, they don't have Hmm. any—they didn't do anything. They didn't sign anything. They didn't say anything. They just are a student who is Arab. That's
0: unsurprising, sadly, but I can't imagine, like, how that must feel when you're yep. walking around on campus and have a truck that's flashing. Have your name yeah. and photo yeah.
4: in big red letters. And the, the truck, it just says, like, campus anti-Semites, right?
0: Like, how is that even allowed on campus, that kind of public shaming? It seems medieval.
4: That is really something to wonder. <laughs> and then in the meantime, at Stanford, an Arab undergrad was uh, injured in a hit-and-run. By a Zionist who yelled out the window, fuck you and your people. Uh, is that in the news? Not really. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, the, you know, the, it's this person's physical, bodily safety versus Zionist sadness that there are protests happening. Yeah.
0: There was also, was it Stanford that, that, that chalk
4: writing happened? Yeah. Okay. So I have that right here. (laughs) Um, so Stanford daily.com writes Semitic messages were written in chalk on white plaza, um, near a pro-Palestine sit-in. The chalk messages were falsely assumed to be written by pro-Palestinian students at the sit-in and were circulated widely on social media. Um, the chalk read something like come this way to see why we should murder uh jewish babies and it turns out so they wrote arrows around the messages they said arrows around the messages pointed at the sit-in and were phrased in a way that implied that they were written by its participants Mm -hmm. however the chalking was created by a jewish community member who was trying to use irony and sarcasm to draw negative attention to the pro-palestinian protests at campus Um, So it was a Black's rule situation, right? Yeah. (laughs) Clearly, that was the plan. And we should have maybe known because of the little smiley face that the student drew. I don't know. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so nobody wanted to murder the babies. It was just about uh, somebody trying to make it sound scarier than it was because it truly wasn't like a vigil. It was a sit in. So literally yeah. just students sitting. Yeah. The
0: amount of times that I've seen news reports, like especially from the UK calling it like a hate March, calling it like all kinds of horrific things. Sure. There may be the occasional, if there's like 500,000 people out, there's yeah, going to the be going to be terrible. There's yeah. going to be some people that are awful, right. that are saying and doing
4: awful things. And sometimes somebody grabs the bullhorn and says something awful. Like, we, we don't want to minimize that. Yeah.
0: And I also want to acknowledge that this must be a very painful time to be Jewish and see a lot of stuff going on. Because even just yeah. the mentions of the horrific attacks by Hamas on October 7th just some of the people have been like weirdly supportive of it like and yeah
4: every once in a while you definitely see something like that um
0: Like, I definitely don't want to minimize that. And and it's a weird time, right, when the Jewish identity has been forced into this box with Israel. Yeah. And whether you identify that way or not, like, the larger perception seems to be that these things are connected. Right. And it shouldn't be
4: that way. Absolutely, yeah. And even further, there's just no mention of the fact that there are a lot of Israelis who do not support yes the expansion. Well, they're getting the, silenced, the left, and right, side. and center. That's right. Um,
0: but it, I, I try to put myself in that position where you have this like generational trauma of something just so horrific that has happened to your community, yep. and then. Israel is doing these things and people are saying even accurately things mm-hmm. about Israel and the identity of Jews has been forced together with Israel. And it just feels like it would be a very uncomfortable
4: yeah, place scary.
0: to be in, you know, because you Definitely. don't know. And absolutely anti-Semitism is on the rise and it is a scary time.
4: Yeah. And you can see also we're talking about empathy again why it is easy to believe the misinformation that goes out um, you know like where uh, there's these these selectively edited videos that show like pro-Palestine s- student protesters allegedly like harassing and attacking a Zionist counter-protester. We've got on Harvard campus, a video went around, thanks to Canary Mission, of a student being removed from a protest, and they don't say why, because they want to make it look like it was an anti-Semitic attack, that that this Israeli student was moved away from the pro-Palestine protest by the organizers. But um, new video then comes out that is totally ignored that shows.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support it, there are several ways you can do that. You can share it online, talk about what you just heard. You can leave a five-star review to help others find it too. And you can also subscribe via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No E in mangoes. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter before it's uh, completely wrecked, you'll find me at Nice Mangoes. Again, no E in mangoes.